0: Well, Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, uh, many uh, scholars call this the most troubling of all of the texts in the Pentateuch. And the shocker, as we'll soon see, is God judges Moses. Chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Then the entire community of Israel entered the wilderness of Zin in the first month. Uh, many scholars believe this is the end of the 40 years of wandering. Uh, we're now back in Kadesh and we're getting ready to Kadesh Barnea, Barnea and they're going to go across the uh into the Edomite territory and then into Jericho, crossed into Jericho. It says, Miriam died and was buried there. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> There's no eulogy. There is no pontification on this wonderful prophetess. I mean, she died. The chapter's closing. Um, Yeah, and there was no water for the... Sounds familiar, doesn't it? For the community. So they gathered themselves together against Moses and Aaron. (laughs) Really? Again? (laughs) Yep. Uh, In fact, some tried to say, no, this is the same account. And back in Exodus, and I don't think so at all. There's too many differences between the two accounts. The people... Um, they, st- th- this text has strove in the, uh, the net Bible. Uh, they grumbled, they complained with Moses saying, if only we had died when our brothers died before the Lord, why have you brought up the community of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our cattle should die here? Why have you brought us up from Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It's no place for seed or fig trees or of vines or of pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. There it is. It's bookended with the water to drink. Right. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of the meeting. They fell down with their faces to the ground. Often we think that is a posture of worship. That's not necessarily the case. There could be one of fear here. Um, that's going on. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, take the rod, symbol the community, you and Aaron, your brother, and then speak to the rock. That's the difference, isn't it? Before he was told to strike the rock, this time speak to it. It will pour forth its water and you will bring forth to them water from the rock so you will give the community and their beast water to drink. So Moses took the rod From before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the community together in front of the rock and said to them, Listen, you rebels, uh must we bring water out of the rock for you. Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice, oops, with the rod, and water came out abundantly, so the community drank, and their beast drank too. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, because you did not trust me enough to sanctify me before the Israelites, therefore you will not bring this community into the land I've given you. I think one of the saddest commentaries is standing at Mount Nebo and uh, I'll, Lord willing, be there in a couple of weeks. When you stand at Mount Nebo and you look back or crossed into the promised land, you think, uh, you don't, you don't get to go <laughs> after 40 years of leading these yahoos, you can't go. Yep, and it says, you won't go to the land I've given him. This is the water of Meribah because the Israelites strove with the Lord and his holiness was maintained among them. The great leader of Israel, right? He's been through so much with these nuts, right? I mean, at one point God was going to strike him dead and say, well, let's start over with you, Moses. You know, he's been through... Uh, All of this. And uh, served as a mediator, etc. And one little slip up and boom. God says you're done. It seems so harsh on the first read. Doesn't it? I think it does. It's like wow. And we all make mistakes. Come on Lord. Where's grace in the midst of this? Aren't you a loving God that cares? Well there's much going on here I want you to see. The first of all we're going to begin with is we're going to look at the Israelites Complaint. Now, this is the territory, uh, and this is debated, but we're somewhere in southern Israel uh, going before we go up into Edom and over into the land. And I'm just going to move ahead and look at Israel's complaint because this is significant. And I want you to see this. Go back to verse 2, and again, Miriam's died. I think what we're seeing is the close of an era. This generation's dying. In fact, shortly hereafter, Aaron will die. And then if you remember, eventually Moses will die. Uh, and God will bury him himself. But we have these events uh, that are occurring that are ending this time frame. But we have here, this, this is the 10th complaint recorded in Scripture in the books of Exodus and Numbers of the Israelites. That's there in your notes. I even give you the text. You can look them up later to see. Uh, And each of those occurrences, their complaint is against Moses. You got to love it, right? And usually the issue comes up, the land of Egypt. So you see two factors, uh, two themes that occur in all of these uh, complaints. They want to go back to Egypt. (laughs) Uh, It's just unbelievable to me, right? Right? And the term strove, which I mentioned in your notes, uh, your, in verse 3, some English Bibles, does someone have grumbling? Uh, yeah, grumbling is a common term. Grumbling is, is not strong enough, it's one of hostility. They are upset. All right, it, it's the same term we saw that was connected when they wanted to stone Moses. So this is a very hostile group. Now, I want you to see something. Note the seriousness of their complaint. What's, what's, what are they uh, guilty of here? What are they, by, well, look, verse three if only we had died, why have you brought us up? Uh, what's the seriousness of what they're saying? What's the problem? And there's several. What's going on here? No faith. Okay, there's no faith. If I recall, the Lord told you several times, I'm taking you to the promised land. I gave you the promised land. And he told you, even after your episode with the golden calf, remember what he said? (laughs) I'm going to show you wonders you've never seen before. And so there's no faith. What else do we see in their response? Yeah, Kyle. Yeah, um, they have a poor perspective of their situation. In fact, what do they call the land that they're in currently? No, it's a desert, but they call it something else. Evil. Who led you to this land? Who's providing you in this process? God. So in other words, what God has given us is evil. Right? I don't think I'm reading too much into that. Uh, So there is a real disregard for God's provisions. In fact, I would argue there's a lack of gratitude. Right? Uh, Have you forgotten you were slaves? Talk about amnesia. Have you forgotten what you had in Egypt? What else is a problem here? What else do you see? There's several in here. What did they say in verse 3? If only what? died with our brothers who are they referring to turn to leviticus chapter or leviticus number 16 look at this i'll show you who they're talking about they're talking about the rebellion of korah what happened to the Korites? ground opens up and swallows them whole and then anyone who was offering incense in relation to that whole event 250 of them god strikes dead with fire And they're saying, oh, if we had just been with them. Really? (laughs) Really? Yes. I mean, you talk about a poor perspective and an ingratitude from the Lord and a lack of understanding of who he is. I mentioned there, it's in your notes. There's that whole paragraph, but I give you several points. They act apart from God's ordained leadership. So first of all, who gathers the community? They gather themselves, verse 2. They didn't go to Aaron. They didn't go to Moses and say, hey, we need to get a meeting together. They didn't go to the elders and say, hey, let's call this this meeting together. No, we got a mob scene on our hands. They've not followed the protocol that God has given. That's number one problem. Secondly, they identify themselves with those who rebelled. Again, the Korite rebellion in 1635. They are ungrateful to the Lord for his previous provisions. Right. I, I mean, Really? You're going to die out here? Verse 4? Should we rehearse the times he's provided water? Should we rehearse the times you've had manna and quail? <clears throat> All right? Ongoing. Verse 3 or verse or number 4 there in your notes. They fail to give credit for the Lord's deliverance. They equate God's leading and provisions as evil, which is just unbelievable. And they impugn the character not only of Moses and Aaron, but God himself. Right? Well, look what it says. Don't miss this. It says, why have you brought us up from evil, uh, uh, Egypt to bring us to this place? Now, notice what they state in the last part. It is no place for seed, figs, vines, or pomegranates. Do you remember the 12 spies that went to Cana? Ten were bad and two were good. What do you think they saw in Cana? You know the little song? We used to sing that in Sunday school, right? Uh, where's David, children's minister, right? Uh, You sing that song? All right. Well, what do they report? This land is full of figs and pomegranates. The very thing that they desire is what they could have had had they not rebelled. Do you catch that? I mentioned this in your notes. I I quote um, one commentator. He says, in other words, the people were blaming Moses and Aaron because the wilderness was not like the promised land that the people themselves have refused to enter. Right, that is so typical of humanity. <laughs> you blame God for what you you're responsible for in the first place, right? Does that make sense? What I'm saying? What they're complaining they don't have they could have had had they not had they accepted the 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 two spies that said, "Hey, we got to go in. Let's take it." Yeah, Paul. <coughs> it's just Thanks, Paul. That's right. You know, I think of Deuteronomy when God said, I'm, I'm bringing you into this land. And and he said, listen, it's not, you're not going to get to pump this uh, the water in, in this land with your foot, which was how the irrigation took place in the Nile. You're going to have to depend on me on the rains, et cetera. You, you're not going to have... Uh, now, modern Israel has all the irrigation that's, that's crazy, but they didn't have that in ancient Israel. And the land was nothing like it was with the Fertile Nile, you know, and all that that entailed. And, and, and what God's saying is, you're going to have to depend on me. That's why I'm bringing you to this land. All right? <clears throat> um, and especially in this area of, of, of uh, the wilderness is, is horrific. You're right. <laughs> it's, there's nothing there. Well, <clears throat> again, I just think it's ironic that what they complain about uh, at the end of the day is the very thing they could have had had they been obedient which is really sad commentary. Well, you'd like to think that similar to the other nine accounts of complaining, Moses steps in and everything's fine. But did you notice the text never cites Moses interceding on the behalf of the Israelites? It's the first time in the 10 complaints, Moses does not stand in the gap. You say, well, oh, well, haphadets, is, he is bowing down. True, he appears before the Lord, but it's the only time he does not, well, it's one of the few occurrences where he's not speaking. And I don't want to make too much of that, but I, I don't think Moses is ready to step up to the plate this time. I think he's had it. And you say, well, where do you see that? Let's look and see what occurs. Because I want you to see Moses' response. And you say, "Uh, you're a little harsh on Moses. I might be. We'll see. Uh, And you can disagree. Uh, In top of your notes there on page two, I mentioned the first two steps that the Lord states. That is what? Grab the rod and assemble the people Moses does really well with. Well done. The rod, as you note, and this is the top of your page of the second page of your notes, symbolize God's presence. We've seen it all the way back in Exodus chapter 4. And throughout this time frame, um, Mark and I were talking earlier, um, some scholars believe that even the use of the rod here, or the unusual use, and that is it's not, God says, speak, don't strike, is indicating again uh, the end of an era Where the rod was used in a more visible way, it's now being pulled back. Uh, I don't know. I think you're reading maybe too much, but you can disagree. But clearly, it's the will of God, isn't it? It's not the rod that's going to bring forth the water. Uh, The rod is just a symbol that, yes, God is present. There's something else here, though, that I want you to see. Moses adheres to the first two, but he blows it on the last. Instead of speaking to the rock, he speaks... To the people. Or should I say, he condemns the people. What's he called them? What's he say to them? You rebels, right? Listen, you rebels. Now, the term was used of the Israelites before, but Psalm 106 has an interesting insight, and I want you to turn there, Psalm 106, verse 32. This incident as you might expect, occurs in various times in the Hebrew scriptures as well as in rabbinic, early rabbinic writings. <clears throat> the judgment upon Moses is uh, a bit earth-shattering, <laughs> as you might expect. Psalm 106, 32, this psalm states, they made him angry by the waters of Meribah and Moses suffered because of them. Seems to take a little of the responsibility off of Moses, but regardless he be angry and said not. He he is angry and, and I mentioned this in your notes. He misses the opportunity to highlight the Lord's grace and mercy. You know, even despite the Israelites complaining in Moses' failure, what happens with the rock? It gives water, right? It, it still gives, God still gives them water. And I don't know about you, but I'd be like, eh, get your own Gatorade. I'm done. You know, this, this party's over. I've had it. In fact, I'm just going to strike all of you dead. Uh, The earth's going to swallow all of you up and we'll just start it fresh. Aren't you glad I'm not God, right? But he doesn't do that. He still provides water. And in fact, the phrase, and the beast as well, I think is is just another evidence of God's grace to them. Because what were they complaining about? We don't have water for ourselves or our are Betsy the cow, right? We don't, we don't, have, we don't have the, the, the water. And, and he says, fine, I'll provide you. And he says that to Moses and in the instructions in verse eight, we see that I'm going to give water, not only to them, but to their, their beast. And he says it, and then we see it in verse 11. <clears throat> what Moses is doing is pronouncing judgment on the Israelites. That's God's role, not your role, Moses. Right? It's so easy. <laughs> uh, it is. It's it's easy as those of you know, if you have children, uh, or, or if you're involved in a ministry. It's so easy to to, to fall into the trap of legalism and, and and not to err on the side of grace, isn't it? <laughs> I, I'm I'm very swift at judging <laughs> uh, when my kids do something wrong. Fine. All right. Uh, and, and you know, uh, my wife will say, "Well, you y- you blew that one." Thank you, honey. Uh, she said, "You missed the whole point of what was happening there." Said, "Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Thank you." But she doesn't leave it alone. She keeps coming to it, you know, uh, which is good because she points out, "You you 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 can't do that." You know, you 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 quickly jump to conclusions, and uh, Jenna wasn't doing that. It was actually Josiah or vice versa, and whatever. So. Um, Moses steps right up to the plate and he says, I will judge you. Shame on you. Boom. And this was supposed to be an object lesson that God was giving to show his grace to the people. That I continue to lavish my love on you. And, And Moses blew it by how he responded. Now, what does he do? The text tells us He lifts his hand, which is very significant, I think, and we'll get to that in a minute. And he strikes the rock twice. I used to teach that, well, the reason Moses didn't go to the promised land was he struck the rock twice out of anger. Uh, There's something far greater going on here, and I I think I've missed. Um, Let's look at this. But before we do, any uh, statements or questions on uh, the Israelites' response and Moses' response? I should say Israel's complaint, Moses' response. Now. Is there no, no leader of these worldly people? It's always. Well. It's a there are at times point people listed, and Korah and company, we know what happens to them. So probably no one's going to want to stand up to them. Let's go together. <laughs> Surely we will all go get sucked down to the earth. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, but at times, is, they're all kind of lumped together in, as one sin. And I'm going to argue at the end of the day, Moses is lumped with the rest of them. Which is really sad. But we're going to, I mean, right? At the end of the day, what can he not do? Go to the promised land. What happened to this generation over here? Can't go to the promised land. And think about the similarities here in a minute. Let's look at how the Lord judges. I want you to see this. There's two things the Lord says to Moses and Aaron. It's not just Moses, but our focus is Moses. One, you didn't trust me. And as I mentioned in your notes, the phrase conveys the idea of acting in accordance with God's word. In other words, God said it, you act upon it. That indicates faith. What did Moses and Aaron not do? God said it. And you revised it. And it's just like Satan to take what God says. There's, you know, look at what he says to Eve. There's elements of truth in it. That's one of the dangers of, of uh, heretical teaching. <laughs> it sounds all really similar except for one aspect. This, this goes back to Genesis 3. It goes back to Satan, right? God said it and we're going to just revamp it just a little. Why? Because ultimately we're worshiping ourselves. We're seeing ourselves just on par with God. That's the problem with Moses. He's no longer the humble servant that we've seen time and time again. Uh, We got some real issues. Secondly, and this is very serious, God said, you did not sanctify me. That's the whole point of Leviticus and Numbers is sanctifying God. And we saw this all the way back on our journey from, uh, from the Red Sea to Sinai, right? That journey. God is indicating, I am a God of holiness. I am of righteousness. And I demand that from my people. I mentioned there in your notes, Moses' actions failed to exalt the Lord. Right? Right? Uh, God wanted to display his grace and his mercy. That's how he identified himself, one of long-suffering and compassion. Moses' actions tainted God's God's portrait. And God takes that very seriously. All right? I want you to see here, um, as you might expect, there are a whole host of... Of explanations for why Moses was hindered from going into the land. Ultimately, I mean, the 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 crime is clear. We all agree, right? Lack of faith. You didn't sanctify the Lord. But but what what exactly? Why was he punished? What what's, what's going on here? And it really breaks down into four categories. Three plus one. I'll show you in a minute. One is his actions. Uh, many scholars argue, no, he struck the rock twice. The rock was a symbol of Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians. Uh, and elsewhere in the Old Testament, God is referred to as a rock. And so this was a symbol. God takes his images very seriously. And so that's why he got uh, was not allowed to enter. So his actions. Another is his character. There are several scholars who fall into this category. And that is he's just one angry dude. And as a result, that cost him uh, going into the land. And the th- uh, third major category is his words. Uh, you'll see there in your notes, some have said that it's because he doubted God, others because he called the Israelites rebels, <laughs> which I don't think is the case because they're called that elsewhere. Um, the third is that he failed to give the Lord credit. And I've got in italics, uh, Notsi and Yotsi. Uh, you going, what in the world? Uh, look at the text. I want you to see, look what Moses says to the people in verse 10. Listen, you rebels must who bring water? We. We. It's not we. (laughs) Kimasabi. This is you, God. He will bring water out. Not you. And, and so this argument is, and, and, uh, the, the pronouns should have been changed. <laughs> they weren't. And that's the problem. So those are the three major. Another is the text simply does not state it. It's intentionally vague uh, <laughs> for a variety of reasons. And again, uh, you'll see all of these various views among Jewish and Christian scholars as to exactly what's going on in Numbers 20. So I'm going to unlock all secrets, and we're going to give you the the what's really going on, right? <laughs> <laughs> Worth coming this morning. Here it is. <clears throat> Thus saith uh, Hophni's. No, uh, all right. Let me give you what I think's going on. <clears throat> Clearly, he's guilty of a serious offense, right? No doubt there. But look at this. I think number one, he robs God of His glory. I think this whole idea on notzi and notzi and all this, I think exactly what's going on in the Hebrew is clear that Moses says, We are doing this. And as you see there in your notes, and it's a long paragraph, and forgive me, but the the gist of it is the the miracles that were performed by uh, Moses throughout the Exodus are vastly different than magicians in the Egyptian world or magicians or cultic practices. In, in other regions of uh, Mesopotamia during this time frame. And the argument is, the re- well, the reason being is God wants to separate his miracle workers, his messengers from all these other cultic practices. And he's also wanting it to make, it for, primarily to make it clear I, that is God, is the one performing this act. I mentioned this there in your notes. Um, that as you see there, Moses even spoke uh, and him speaking undoes the contrast of the Lord he's attempting to create between pagan worship and as what is expected. Milgram, in his commentary that's there in your notes, in defying God, Moses did not merely countermand his order. Indeed, his behavior would be interpreted as a denial of God's essence. So the way that Moses functioned by speaking to the, uh, uh, not speaking to the rock, as, as God had stated, and, and, and um, acting according on his own will demonstrates, number one, he robbed God of his glory. And I think that fits with what we've seen. Let me give you another th- factor that I think is the reason God weighs heavy down upon Moses. Secondly, he shows contempt for the Lord. He shows contempt. You say, well, that sounds a little harsh, Well, we know that God is portrayed as a rock, and that's mentioned there in your notes. Furthermore, this is in your notes at the bottom of the page, Uh, one scholar notes that the phrase, and Moses raised his hand should be seen figuratively as representing his attitude, a demonstration of his own power to fight against a hostile and superior force before him. In this case, the enemy of God, or the enemy is probably God himself is seen. So, it's a strike really against God. I'm tired of this. And I think there's much to weigh in there that uh, uh, certainly in one level, there's contempt because he's not not willing to do what God has asked him to do, right? And then the third is, and, and clearly he failed to trust the Lord And he operated out of self-reliance. The use of the pronouns is clear. As I mentioned there in your notes. At the end of the day. This is Wynnum. He says Moses failure to carry out the Lord's instructions. Precisely was as much an act of unbelief. As the people's failure to trust God's promises. Instead of the spies pessimistic reports. At the end of the day. He's no different than the people he's leading. And what he did at Meribah was horrific. Because he robs God of who he is, before what he's trying to present to the people, his grace, his mercy. But there's actually a disdain for God almost in this response, I think you could argue. And certainly there's one of self-reliance and failure to give God credit. And that, I think, is what seals his fate. Kyle. It's, it's only seen in an act of hostility raising your hand in the Hebrew Scriptures, a sign of judgment. Or a, when God says, I raise my hand against you, it's not to bless you. There's a clear abuse here of what's happening. And, and even seen, I think it's clearly seen by him striking the rock, not once, but twice. Because you could say, well, maybe he forgot, and this was like the other scene where he struck, but he only struck the rock once there. And let's not forget, God just told him in his glory, you're to speak to the rock. So uh, we don't have amnesia just for a few minutes. <laughs> you got short-term memory, we got an issue. Uh, you know, this is the point. In many ways, Moses' sin recapitulates all that was wrong concerning the old generation. Moses, you should have learned this. Right? This is kind of uh, a bit of a flashback to uh, Egypt when he struck the Egyptians. <laughs> um this is mentioned i mentioned this in the notes i didn't highlight this but one commentator states the self reliance that he had when he slayed the egyptian slave master he's reverted back to that here which is really sad after 40 years and all the lessons and all the opportunities you've had moses you've blown it again i tell you my colleague is in his early 70s and he jokes but not really Uh, Well, he doesn't joke. He said, you know, my prayer now is more than ever, Lord, help me finish well. He said, that's what scares me to death. He said, you know, it's easy when you're young, but man, when you're getting old, not that it was easy then, but he said, when you're getting old, and he said, let down my guard now would be a travesty. And you see that with Moses doing so well. And then Boom. And in fact, I've given you several texts. Um, I won't take the time to read them, but you see them in your notes there right before letter B, Exodus 20, Exodus 27. You see those? Deuteronomy 1, Deuteronomy 4. Well, we got to turn to Deuteronomy 4. At least let me read one of them. Bear with me. I want you to see something that's really sad. Moses rehearses a bit of what's happened, In, in Deuteronomy 4.21, he says, but the Lord became angry with me because of you and vowed that I would never... Uh, he takes responsibility. and He says, I played a key role in this mess. And, and, and you see that in those four texts that I've cited there. And the man who should have been the godly servant leader... That we'd seen several other times and intercede for the Israelites, he identifies with the Israelites, and he blows it. Let me give you three principles just to, to wrap up here as we look at this. Number one, Godly leadership ensures the Lord receives all the glory. Whether you're our CEO of a company in this room, or you're just a uh, fella down on the you know punch the numbers and you're done for the day, regardless, it's all for God's glory. If you have a family, uh, you know, Howard Hendricks used to say the pastor who stands at the end of the, the exit and people are coming out, well, that was a fine sermon. Thank you, Pastor. He said that's the glorification of the worm. <laughs> He's right. Leviticus 10, I want you to see a powerful little scene. It concerns God's glory as well. Leviticus 10 3, there's a statement that is made. It says, Moses says to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke. Among the ones close to me, I will show myself holy and his presence of all the people. I will be honored. Moses should have remembered this at Meribah. You go, yeah. What's the whole event that's in in, uh, Leviticus 10? It's Nadab and Abihu. Aaron's sons who get struck dead because they didn't take the holiness of God seriously. God could have struck Moses at Meribah and Aaron. It's God's grace he didn't. It's God's grace he allows Moses to see the promised land before he takes them home. Right? If, it, if God was, you know, I hear people say, well, you know, good is not God. If God was just, we'd all be dead. Right? And with that, Ron leaves. He's offended. No. He, he told me he was leaving early. So, but perfect timing, Ron. Way to go. Godly leadership ensures God gets the glory. Here's another one for us. Godly leadership recognizes that we are not the saviors. The Lord is responsible for the transformation of lives. One of the dangerous things you can fall victim to, whether you're in a vocational Christian ministry or just volunteering, is to think that it's your role to change lives. It is not your role to change lives. My wife, I remind her and she reminds me, you are not the Savior. Even Jesus took time to to, to spend time with the Father, right? People were sick all around him. It says he left him to go up and spend time with the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you know the whole scene. Paul says, hey, it doesn't matter who's done what. It's God's glory that we seek. And, And Moses and Aaron failed to recognize that at Meribah. And they took ownership, which was not theirs to take ownership of. <laughs> that was the Lord's. Uh, and That's the danger. So godly leadership recognizes we are not the saviors. That's the Lord's responsibility. And that's really freeing. I don't know about you. Uh, you know, and, and I remind my wife, I said, listen, the Lord had 12. He spent three plus years with <laughs> 24-7. And look what happened to them. All right. Um, one of the most discouraging things is to to pull up former students on their Facebook sites. I don't do that anymore. (laughs) It's really discouraging. Um, Some are, you know, you're excited to see what God's doing and they're sold out to Christ. And others, you say, wow, that's sad commentary. But at the end of the day, it's the Lord who's going to transform lives, not Hopheditz. Thank goodness. And then let me give you one more to run with. And that is, God's uh, godly leadership needs to be characterized by grace and mercy motivation for obedience should be fostered out of grace not out of the law and out of gratitude not of guilt the christian life is not a bunch of do's and don'ts the christian life is a re- loving relationship with god almighty and i do what i do because i love him catch the perspective it's vastly different first peter we'll turn there to close first peter chapter 4 this powerful little epistle and, and in fact, it's called the epistle of grace. <laughs> Peter is finally learning a few things. Uh, some rough edges have been chipped away in these two, epistle that he, two epistles that he writes. But 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. For the culmination of all things is near, so be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of prayer. Above all, keep your love for one another fervent, because love covers a multitude of sins. Oh, that, that's grace, right? Show hospitality to each other without complaining, just as each one of you received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. I've been telling people about iron to iron. I say, you know, one of the most exciting things is to watch the fellowship. To watch men, you know, love on one another and care for one another. Keep it up. I think that's, that's one of the greatest things. And then to take that into the workplace, to take that into your homes, to take that into your local churches, uh, that's one of the, the reasons we're doing this, right? Paul Chapel states, it's there at the bottom of your notes, the fear of the Lord helps us recognize our accountability to God for the stewardship of leadership, it motivates us to seek the Lord's wisdom and understanding in difficult situations. And it challenges us to give our all to the Lord by serving those we lead with love and humility. Moses missed it, unfortunately. And it's our, my prayer, and it should be our prayer, Lord, help us finish well. <laughs> help us finish well. Father, we thank you for this text this morning. And... It is a a sad commentary on a fellow who has been so faithful in serving and has displayed humility time and time again. And yet, he crosses the line uh, here. And Father, it's a reminder to us, uh, Lord, that we need to walk humbly before you. Lord, it's not about us. It's about you. And we seek your glory. And as leaders, whether that's in an official capacity or unofficial uh, Lord, whether it's we're married or not, or we have family, whether uh, we're owner of a company, or whether we're involved in some type of ministry, Lord, it's our desire that we be characterized by grace and mercy, recognizing that you are in charge. You are the one who transforms, and it's all about you. Help us to do as John prayed, he must increase, I must decrease. And Lord, that is our prayer this morning. Thank you for these men. Guide them today. Bless them. And uh, Lord, we look forward to being together next week. In Jesus' name, amen.